0: Hey Faye, it's CREOG season again, um, and so we need to help residents figure out the best way to study aside from just listening to the podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that um, we did when we were residents was to look at the OBG project, which can give you really quick updates on the most up-to-date practice guidelines, as well as create your own library where you can go back to those guidelines um, that you specifically like.
0: Head on over to our website, creagservercoffee.com and check out the sidebar. Chief residents, you can get OBG first, the premium product, absolutely free for your chief year. That'll cover you for CREAGS as well as your board studying. And residents, you can also benefit from the resident core curriculum, absolutely free. Again, head over to our website, creagservercoffee.com, check out the sidebar. Happy studying. This is Nick, Kriogs over coffee. All right. So Faye, I think there's only one route of hysterectomy that we choose these days, but we're going to talk about how to (laughs) choose a route of hysterectomy from a gynecologist's perspective. What are our learning objectives?
1: So we are going to review some common reasons for hysterectomy, just spend a very short amount of time on that, and then we're going to talk about the different routes of hysterectomy that are available to us, and then, of course, we'll talk about the meat of the episode, which is the considerations that go into selecting the route of hysterectomy, and then discuss when certain routes would or would not be appropriate. This episode will focus on routes for benign hysterectomy specifically. We won't touch on hists for oncological disease, as that is something we will defer to our oncology colleagues, but for those of you that are interested in oncology, feel free to DM us and come on the show to talk about uh, some more oncology topics. The reading to follow along for this episode is going to be Committee Opinion 701, Choosing the Route of Hysterectomy for Benign Disease. All right, Nick, so start us off. Why do we do hysterectomies?
0: Before we get into the whys, let's talk about some backgrounds. Hysterectomies are actually one of the most commonly performed surgeries in the United States, and per the CDC, there's over 600,000 performed annually, which is wild to me. Many of these hysterectomies are elective, meaning that patients are choosing a surgical option over a medical option, for example. There's a lot of reasons for hysterectomy, and we've talked about a lot of them on the podcast before, Faye. So, you know, we've really, like through 150 some odd episodes at this point, talked through, yeah. you know, prolapse and bleeding and GTN and cancers and accretas. Um, there's a lot of Potential reasons. And today we're just going to discuss the benign things and really discuss like just the routes of hysterectomy. But again, hysterectomy is something that is commonly used for a lot of different things. Um, And so choosing a route kind of goes along with the why you're doing a hysterectomy. Tell me, Faye, what is the best way to do a hysterectomy? Or if there's not a best way, why does the route matter?
1: Sure. I don't know if there's a best way. There might be, you know, like my favorite way or your favorite way, but we'll get into that. We aren't going to talk about the exact techniques and the surgical uh, methods here because, again, we're a podcast. It's going to be really boring for us to tell you, like, how to take down the ba- the bladder flap and things like that. But there are some really great resources online. Um, things that I used when I was a resident was the Atlas of Pelvic Surgery, a little bit older and dated, but it's still great for some of those things like vaginal hysterectomies. Also, the only textbook I ever bought in all of residency, sh- don't tell anyone, was Baggish and Karam Atlas of Pelvic Anatomy and Gynecologic Surgery. I mean, our residency did give us certain books like Williams Obstetrics and Williams Gynecology, but I felt like this textbook was really, really great in describing pelvic anatomy and helping me with um, GY and surgery. I'm not saying like go out and everybody buy this book because it's like $200. So, you know, maybe use your residency book money or just borrow your senior residence, but I felt like this was really helpful. Uh, anyway, um, in terms of route of hysterectomy, we can kind of divide this up into the minimally invasive hysts and then, you know, the abdominal hysterectomy or the non-minimally invasive hysterectomies. So I'll start off with probably my second favorite type of hysterectomy, which is a vaginal hysterectomy. <laughs> so this is actually the first type of minimally, minimally invasive hysterectomy. The advantages are that It's the preferred type of hysterectomy when possible because there aren't any incisions on the abdomen and because it's minimally invasive. There's high safety uh, data for this. And overall, the vaginal hysterectomy is gonna be your lowest cost of hysterectomy. A meta-analysis of seven trials reported similar rates of things like visceral injury and long-term complications among vaginal versus laparoscopic procedures. Minimally invasive approaches overall are associated with faster recovery compared to laparotomy. And so if we can find the quickest, fastest and highest safety profile for minimally invasive hysterectomies, the vaginal hysterectomy is the way to go. The disadvantage, unfortunately, is that despite its advantages, there are fewer vaginal hysterectomies being performed compared to other types of hysterectomies due to limited training, fewer numbers of hysterectomies being performed overall, and of course, um, a greater diversity of operative approaches to the vaginal hysterectomy. The other thing is that you do have to remove the cervix with this type of procedure. So there's really no option for a super cervical hist if that's something that your patient wants. Um, and, of course, there's always that small chance of converting to laparotomy. And finally, there may be some limitations in uh, visibility. You know, I, despite being an MFM, my favorite type of hysterectomy is still the laparoscopic hysterectomy, but I will let you take this, Nick. <laughs>
0: Well thank you for letting me talk about the laparoscopic hysterectomy, Faye, because I do think that these are fun surgeries even though I don't do them anymore. So laparoscopic surgery is performed obviously with laparoscopic instruments, and usually you're using three or four small ports in the abdomen. The uterus in this technique can actually be morselated and removed through a bag. You know you want to do bag morcellation in this case, so we're not advocating for the old type of open power morselation, Or the uterus can be removed via the vagina. This technique is increasing significantly in popularity with the advantages afforded by it, which include better visualization with a minimally invasive surgery, um, the ability to perform supracervical hysterectomy if needed or desired, the ability to perform the last part vaginally for ease if needed, the so-called laparoscopic assisted vaginal hysterectomy, and laparoscopic surgery may be easier in some obese patients versus vaginal surgery. Unfortunately, some disadvantages do exist, though. Um, you really have to have a surgeon who's skilled in the use of laparoscopy, trained in the techniques, and certain patient populations with particular comorbidities may not tolerate Trendelenburg position or pneumoperitoneum. Recall, um, we talked about some of those comorbidities in our Fundamentals of Laparoscopic Surgery podcast series with Dr. Mary Rotina. There is the possibility of conversion to laparotomy, just like with vaginal hysterectomy. Um, And with laparoscopic surgery, there's a slightly higher rate of vaginal cuff dehiscence compared to other routes of hysterectomy. This is still pretty low, though, like half to 1% overall, um, but it is a little higher compared to the other routes. I didn't do a lot of robot in residency, Faye, but maybe you did.
1: Uh, I did a few, Um, you know, definitely not, you know, enough to call myself a robotic surgeon by any means. Um, I mean, I'm an MFM now, so certainly I don't do a lot of robotic hysterectomies. Overall, robotic hysterectomies are very similar in terms of advantages and disadvantages to laparoscopic hysterectomies due to you know, requiring Trendelenburg positioning and pneumoperitoneum, as well as, of course, being um, in a minimally invasive technique. There are certain differences, however, in advantages and disadvantages. The first one in terms of advantages is that there is superior visualization compared to traditional laparoscopy due to the ability to move your camera and also that 3D vision that you get when you're like sitting at the robot, which I always thought was pretty cool. Also, there's um, improvement in the mechanical components of the actual hysterectomy because your robot is going to give you that wrist mobility that your traditional straight-stick laparoscopy is not going to give you. Better stabilization of instruments because, of course, you have a robot holding the instruments and not a person. So um, that also can lead to things like improved ergonomics for the surgeon since you're sitting down, speaking as somebody who has passed out multiple times during long cases before. Um, And also, there are even more options for minimally invasive routes such as single-port hysterectomies that are being developed nowadays. Disadvantages, of course, uh, is that additional surgical training. You do have to make sure that you get past uh, that steep part of the learning curve when you're learning the robot. And it doesn't necessarily decrease the time of surgery. In fact, um, robotic hysterectomies can actually increase cost and operating room times because of the cost of the instrument overall, as well as, of course, your initial cost of having to get that robot. And then some things that certain people will complain of is that there is a lack of haptics. There's really no tactile feedback while you're sitting at the robot performing your surgery. Okay. So I think, you know, now we have to move on to the one type of hysterectomy that we still perform, Nick, which is the abdominal hist. Yes, the...
0: Maximally invasive technique. Um, <laughs> the, no, abdominal hist still has its place, though. Again, the advantages of abdominal hysterectomy certainly are in visualization, um, the ability to remove and move around large masses or uteri. Um, you get direct tactile feedback. This technique also has the lowest rate of vaginal cuff dehiscence compared to other methods. Um, And studies that have been done about routes of hysterectomy like the VALUE study and the EVALUATE trial show decreased rates of complications of abdominal hist compared to laparoscopic hist. But those studies are pretty old at this point, done in like the 90s, Um, and so I'd be suspect at this point, um, especially with the degree of increased laparoscopic training that we're seeing now.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: There are some disadvantages, of course, to abdominal hysterectomy. Certainly, there's increased postoperative pain and length of stay. Um, The average length of stay in a hospital after surgery is three days with an abdominal hist compared to usually one day or even same day discharge with other types of hists. There's increased rates of bleeding and infection postoperatively, increased risk of venous thromboembolism that may be due to increased stasis or decreased mobility after surgery. Um, And then there's increased risk of colonic stasis two after abdominal hysterectomy because we are pushing bowels around a little bit more. If we were gynecologists again, Faye, um, how -hmm. would we pick the prime route of hysterectomy?
1: Yeah. So we can kind of break this down into four components. The first is, um, you know, uh, giving consideration first to minimally invasive routes if possible, uh, considering patient anatomy, uh, surgeon comfort and preference, and then, of course, patient preference. So we'll start off with um, consideration of minimally invasive routes. So Minimally invasive hysterectomy should be considered whenever possible because of the well-documented advantages of minimally invasive surgery over laparotomy. We know that there is going to be things like decreased length of stay, decreased pain, decreased risk of bleeding, infection, all those things that you had talked about before, Nick. We also know that vaginal hysterectomy is uh, preferred over other types of hysterectomy like we stated before due to things like cost, effectiveness, and overall outcomes. Um, And even if an opportunistic salpingectomy is desired, these can actually be performed at the time of vaginal hysterectomy. The next thing to consider, however, is the patient anatomy. So you have to consider the size and the shape of the vagina and the uterus, as well as the ability of the uterus to descend into the vagina. It's going to be more difficult to perform a vaginal hysterectomy if, of course, there's no descent of the cervix and uterus, um, if there's a really large uterus with bulky fibroids and a small introitus. However, parity is not a contraindication to vaginal hysterectomy, and a study showed that 92% of vaginal hysterectomies planned for women with no prior vaginal deliveries could be successfully completed accessibility of the uterus is also important. Is there going to be lots of pelvic adhesive disease because of previous surgeries or endometriosis? Um, however, again, this doesn't necessarily preclude uh, vaginal hysterectomy. So if you have a large uterine size, you can consider morselation, though that has come under scrutiny um, due to some uh, issues in the past. Um, however, you can still morselate a uterus in the bag. You can bivalve a uterus. And even if it's a really large bulky uterus, you can still refer to a skilled minimally invasive surgeon who may be able to remove that uterus laparoscopically. And then the other things to consider are things like need of concurrent procedures. So like, is the patient going to need their appendix removed at the same time as well? Some workup to consider is a physical exam with evaluation of the mobility of the uterus on a bimanual exam, um, evaluation for adnexal masses on the bimanual, feel for fundal height. And if you feel any of these things, a pelvic ultrasound may also be helpful. What about like surgeon and patient preference? Nick, how does that play into this?
0: Sure. So you might imagine that surgeon preference should play into this, right? If I would rather do a laparoscopic hysterectomy, maybe I should do that instead of a vaginal hysterectomy. But really, ACOG states in this committee opinion that that's not an appropriate reason to avoid the vaginal approach. So while your experience is certainly going to play into this somewhat with your average case volume and the available hospital technology devices and support, really your stated preference for one over the other should not be what comes into play here. You should be doing what's right for the patient. Um, And so in this case, doing a vaginal hysterectomy versus laparoscopic hysterectomy to avoid those abdominal incisions is, again, what's preferred. But patient preference does come into play here as well. One of the things that does come up periodically is a patient desire for supracervical hysterectomy because of desire to keep the cervix for personal reasons, for sexual function reasons, etc. And if there is a desire for supracervical hysterectomy, patient is going to need, obviously, a laparoscopic or abdominal approach because it's not possible to achieve that via the vaginal approach. Um, it is important with your counseling, though, particularly about supracervical hysterectomy, is that there's not a clinically significant difference in complications, and there's uncertain benefit in terms of outcomes with regards to sexual function, urinary and bowel function, um, with supercervical hysterectomy versus a total hysterectomy. All right, Faye, I think that does it for this episode on choosing the route of hysterectomy. Why don't we summarize?
1: Sure. So we first talked about reasons for hysterectomy, and there are very, very many. We talked about them in lots of different podcasts, things like prolapse, uterine bleeding, fibroids, cancer, accreta, and endometriosis, just to name a few.
0: We then moved on to talk very broadly about the different types of hysterectomy. Again, vaginal hysterectomy is the original minimally invasive surgery um, and is the preferred type of hysterectomy when possible because there are no incisions on the abdomen, minimally invasive high safety, and low cost overall. However, there are some disadvantages um, with respect to the fact that there's limited training ongoing for vaginal hysterectomy, fewer numbers being performed, and there's an inability to perform super cervical hysterectomy if that's desired for some reason.
1: We then moved on to the laparoscopic hysterectomy, which again is performed with laparoscopic instruments via three to four small ports in the abdomen. Um, it's increasingly popular and can lead to things like better visualization. It's still minimally invasive. You can perform a super cervical hist if necessary. However, you do need a surgeon that is skilled in laparoscopy and also patient populations uh, may have certain medical illnesses that cannot tolerate Trendelenburg or pneumoperitoneum. With laparoscopic hysterectomy, we kind of lumped in robotic hysterectomy, which is overall very similar. However, the increased advantages is that you have better visualization because of that ability to move the camera and the 3D visualization. There's mechanical improvement, stabilization of the instruments, better ergonomic for the surgeon. However, you do need additional surgical training. Robots haven't really been shown to decrease operative time. In fact, it can actually increase operative time and cost, and there's no tactile feedback.
0: The final route was the abdominal hysterectomy, the OPEN technique, um, which again affords you visualization the ability to remove large masses, large uteri, um, and has the lowest rate of vaginal cuff dehiscence, but does come with the disadvantages of increased postoperative pain, length of stay, bleeding, infection, venous thromboembolism, and colonic stasis risks.
1: In terms of how we pick the route of hysterectomy, things to consider, of course, again, like we said before, is to try to go for minimally invasive routes when possible, specifically um, thinking about a vaginal hysterectomy if it's possible. The other thing to consider is the anatomy of the uterus. So for example, size and shape, um, as well as descent of the uterus is always important to consider. Um, And also things like accessibility of the uterus, need for concurrent procedures, and also things to consider on your workup would be things like feeling for the mobility of the uterus evaluation of the adnexa for masses, and potentially even a pelvic ultrasound.
0: Final things to consider with choosing your route of hysterectomy include the surgeon preference, um, though preference really is the wrong word to use here, as kind of choosing one over the other just because is not a valid reason to avoid particularly a vaginal approach. Though surgeon experience in the available hospital technology devices and supports, including your average case volume, should come into play. Patient preference is also worth considering here, particularly if a patient desires supracervical hysterectomy, they'll need a laparoscopic or abdominal approach. However, patients should be counseled that supracervical hysterectomy does not result in clinically significant differences and uncertain benefits in terms of outcomes.
1: All right, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Cree Observer Coffee.
0: So guys, if you enjoyed the podcast today, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review.
1: You can find us on social media on Twitter at KriogsOverCoff1, on Facebook and Instagram at KriogsOverCoffee. And if you want to give us some monetary support, go into our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash KriogsOverCoffee.
0: You can find show notes for this episode, as well as all of our previous episodes, and the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website, KriogsOverCoffee.com.
1: And if you have suggestions for a new episode, you have a correction for other episodes, or just want to give us a shout out, go ahead and email us, creonsrivercoffee at gmail.com.